Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. Hey, it's still Advent of Code season. Just a reminder that Jose is still live streaming. He's sticking with it. Every day he's got a live stream out on Twitch TV, and he's posting his live books. And I've watched a couple of these, and it's always really cool to just pick up something that he's doing, seeing how he breaks down the problem. But then also he goes the extra mile and like explains some of the live book you know, features and some of the, the new things in Elixir 1.13, for example. Even if you're not so interested in the Advent of Code Challenge, it's still pretty interesting to watch. So it's still going. People are sharing their solutions in Livebook Notebooks. We've got a couple of links in the show notes to some really interesting ones that are using like Livebook and Kino. The visualizations really help make it really cool. I've enjoyed seeing people like Milada, who we've interviewed before. She's using Vegalite, which is the graph support that is built into Livebook to visualize some of those answers and, and solutions, which I thought was really cool. For me, it helps demonstrate the power of Livebook and just the tooling that's maturing and growing up around Livebook. It's totally worth just checking out other people's solutions. Yeah. Next up, Chris McCord shared something on Twitter where he showed how you can launch a new Elixir app on fly.io in two commands. So the two commands are mixphoenix.new, along with your project name, and flylaunch. So this assumes that you're using the new Phoenix 1.6.4 or later and updated your Fly CTL command line interface for working with Fly. Really, the magic here happens because Chris added a new generator to Phoenix, which is phoenix.gen.release-docker. And so this is a command that helps configure a release and sets up a Docker file for the project. And this is not specific to Fly or anything. This is just like, if you have a Phoenix app and you want to deploy it, and Docker is a great way to do that because you can build releases in your Docker containers, then this is going to be really helpful, especially because the whole deployment story with Elixir has been a little troubled. You know, people have struggled with getting their app finally deployed into production. You said two commands. Is it actually three commands? You have to do Phoenix new and then Phoenix gen release and then Fly launch? That's a good question. No. Just the fly launch detects that it is a Phoenix app and runs some of those commands for you. What? What I would just find really fun about this is I'm really excited because I think fly, honestly, that's where I work. You know, full disclosure, I joined fly because I really believe in what we're doing and how it really is powerful for Elixir and Phoenix. And Chris McCord joined fly also because he shares that vision. And this is part of that fruition of Chris being able to help bring both sides, you know, we're able to bring the fly side and the Phoenix side together to improve the deployment story. So I'm just really happy to see that. And we have some other fun fly things coming that'll make it even better getting your new Phoenix app up on fly. And relatedly, there was another little update to the fly dashboard. It's a live view app. And it's adding live streaming of the logs for the app that you're deploying. And what was really fun is that it's only 180-ish lines of LiveView code to add this feature. And that's just, to me, a testament to LiveView, just that you can do this kind of interactive stuff, live streaming, pushing data to the browser. LiveView is awesome. Next up, Hex version 1.0 released along with a description for their roadmap and backwards compatibility. Eric Meadows-Johnson gave some insight for what's happening here. 
He said, we just released Hex 1.0 with no major changes compared to the last release, 0.21.0, and we will soon release Hex 2.0, again with no major changes. He explains what's going on and why they're doing this. It's a nice, clear, short summary, and you can find a link to the show notes. But in summary, he said that Hex has so far maintained backwards compatibility with Elixir 1.0 with every new release of Hex. By releasing Hex 1.0, we are committing to continue supporting older Elixir versions as is feasibly possible, but the 1.0 branch will only get security fixes and changes that are critical to get it working. But supporting older Elixir versions limited their feature development. They can't use things like with that were added after Elixir 1.0. They also can't use newer dependencies and packages that require a newer Elixir version, and there have been a lot of great things since then. So with Hex 2.0, They'll drop support for older Elixir versions than 1.5. Other than the quality of life improvements for the maintainers, they'll also be able to ship a completely rewritten version resolver with new HTTP client that should give improved performance and improvements for users on slower or less reliable network connections. And they promise to share more about the 2.0 changes as it gets closer to release. Yeah, I really could appreciate Eric's post just because Hex is something that's always there. We always think about it. You just assume it's there. Right. And then you realize, oh, yeah, they have had to maintain backward compatibility to Elixir 1.0 forever. (laughs) 1.0. So that's a long time ago. It is. And then it's like, oh, there's all this cool stuff that's happening in Elixir and they can't use it because they're trying to maintain that compatibility. Yeah. This is important just to be aware because Hex is going to come out with some big version changes like the 1.0, you know, going from a 0.21 to 1.0 and then a 2.0. And you're like, what's going on? This is all it is. They're just creating some nice breaking points where they can say security and bug fix maintenance is on 1.0 and 2.0 is where it's Elixir 1.5. And going forward, we can start using newer things. The membrane framework is introducing a benchmarking tool called the Beamchmark. I think I'm saying that right. The Beamchmark. (laughs) (laughs) It's a simple tool for measuring the beam performance. It allows you to check your VM's performance while running a customized scenario. So at the moment, the main interest of Beamchmark is the schedule utilization reductions and context switches and just seeing how much that the scheduler is being utilized, right? And, and how much it's changing. It's a hex package that you can add to your application. So you can create a small script to perform some you know, task in your application and then just benchmark them to get the Beam statistics while it's running. So the output is in your console. Just a reminder of what the Membrane Framework is. Uh, it's a wonderful team doing a lot of good multimedia work, specifically multimedia streaming. I can imagine how tuning and tracking like the Beam performance would be really helpful for them. And thanks to them, they're open sourcing that and releasing it out to the community. So it might be helpful for other situations too. And it's worth checking out. And next up, Elixir Sense gets support for plugins. Now packages can include custom Elixir Sense plugins in their code base. So as a reminder, Elixir Sense is an editor-independent API for Elixir projects that provides context-aware information for things like code completion, documentation, the go, jump to definition, signature info, and more. And this means that a library could add code completion or documentation help that's specific to that library or other improvements like that. This work was driven by Zach Daniel for use with the ASH framework. So clearly, Zach has some ideas about what he wants to do here. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he comes up with. 
I do think larger projects like frameworks could really benefit from getting some of that code completion and insight that would be really helpful for users of those frameworks. So just as a heads up, if you want to learn more about Ash, we talked with Zach about Ash in episode 27. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And just in case you didn't realize it, Elixir Sense is being used by the uh, Elixir LSP. So everyone's basically using it if you're using the LSP already in your editor. So I'm sure that this change will affect you know a, a lot of folks. And I have to imagine that Ecto would be a, another good candidate for like a plugin if there's not already one. Maybe maybe it's already kind of hard coded and they'll extract it into a plugin. We'll see. And last up, we just wanted to say happy birthday to open source Erlang, 23 years. Francisco Cicerini previously wrote a blog post about the open source release and shared some greater context on what that meant for many projects, companies, and even for Elixir. So happy birthday to them. Yes, and obviously Erlang has been around longer than 23 years, but that's how long has it been available as open source. I'm just super grateful that that happened. And it's a great read to just look at the blog post that Francesco put together, where it just helps give some appreciation for how much impact it had even during the dot-com boom with companies and how they were able to tackle big problems. And that's it for the news. Fly.io supports this podcast by providing editing services. Beyond being great for supporting us, they are a great place to host your next Elixir app. Check them out at fly.io. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Chase Granberry. Chase, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So Chase, I am excited to have you because you are the, I guess, founder of Logflare, another company that is using Elixir. We'd love to be able to dig in and kind of understand how Elixir is helping you and your company provide these services and what kind of problems it's really good at solving. And we'd love to hear other news and things that you can share with us. But before we jump into all of that, we'd love to hear more about you first. So what can you tell us about yourself? I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been into software stuff kind of my whole life, really. I bootstrapped a software company previously that I ran for 12 years. I've been working on Logflare. I have a wife and two kids, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Three-year-old likes to climb all over everything and throw things and hit his brother. And I know from the pre-show that you also have chickens. Yes. Yes. We have seven chickens that we got during like the lockdown. My wife has always wanted chickens. And so we just pulled the trigger and they're they're actually a lot of fun. I mean, the the eggs are delicious and they're like visibly like brighter and kids love them. So it's fun. Well, we have a three-nager ourselves. So I I feel your your pains and a three-nager. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We call him Monster Cam. His name is Cameron. <laughs> well, Chase, I would love to hear a little bit about how you came to Elixir personally. Like You've been developing for a long time, so I'm sure you were doing other things first. So how did you end up coming to Elixir? I was not originally a developer. The previous company was like a reporting software for marketing agencies, and I was a consultant and The software in the space at the time was crappy. And so I ended up finding a couple of devs that wanted to do a little bit of work for equity and then just kind of took it from there. So I was like sales, marketing, support, kind of everything guy. We ended up building a lot of stuff. And at the end of it, we were porting everything over from Ruby to Elixir. So I I just had a lot of like high level 
knowledge on Erlang and Elixir and all that, just from deciding to, or, or kind of helping guide that this, the, I mean, it wasn't really my decision. They, my dev just kind of wanted to do it. And I said, sure, sounds cool. Let's check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not the first company that I've heard that ported something from Ruby to Elixir. Do you remember anything that specific that sticks out about why Elixir was a good fit? For us, a lot of it was, I mean, we were just like aggregating a lot of data. We had a lot of crawlers, kind of like correlate the processes. And there's just a lot of coordination that needs to get done when you're crawling lots of stuff. We were using Redis a lot at the time and just everything that comes built in with the beam. It just kind of makes a lot of sense for a big like crawling kind of infrastructure. And then the Ruby, you know, it just, you get a lot of Ruby devs from it just because Jose and kind of where it started and syntax and stuff. That's why they like Elixir, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the initial attraction. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the veil is lifted and then ta-da, it's like way better than you thought it was going to be. Yeah. yeah. Since you probably had a, a hand in this, I, I know that hiring is typically a sore spot. I hear that it's a sore spot, but I, I, I don't believe it yet. I've never... I've not believed that yet, but I keep on hearing it. Like it's a, it's a annual topic about how hiring for Elixir developers is hard. Did you f- have that experience? Did you find that difficult? They were all learning it and we were a small team. It was a, a nice software company, but it wasn't huge by any means. And I didn't really have to deal with like finding a bunch of Elix- Elixir devs. I mean, if you're trying to build a team of 20 quickly, that might be, might present some problems just feels like to me that there's lots of elixir people looking for work and it seems to me that there's lots of people that would be interested in learning it and very easy to to pick up so so tell us a little bit more about logflare what is the premise you know what's what does it do we know that it, it runs elixir a bit and that it, and elixir is a good orchestration layer here for for you guys it sounds like but what is the pitch give me the elevator pitch the elevator pitch is basically it might previous company at the end of it, we were spending a lot of money on observability, like logs and metrics basically at the time. I was very into all that because as like a non-technical founder early on, I realized like, you know, I needed to fully understand at any minute, like what everything was doing. Otherwise I'd wake up to like unhappy customers and that's no fun. So the crawling infrastructure monitoring queues, right? How big are our queues? How much work do we have to do today? Is the work going to get done by the end of the day? Or do we need to like speed stuff up? Scout APM was like the first thing that we ever used. And then like we were early adopter of New Relic, also super early adopter of Datadog. We just used Paper Trail, I think pretty much the whole time. But Paper Trail, we were spending like thousands of dollars on a month but we were only keeping like three days worth of data because it's expensive to keep lots of data in like elk, like elastic backed logging tools. From the business perspective, I wasn't able to leverage anything we were doing there. It was basically, basically just for like, you know, real time debugging for our devs. When I was looking for kind of something else to experiment with, I had a friend who was building like a business around a, a Cloudflare app. And he was telling me about that. And then I had this kind of like previous knowledge of Elixir and Phoenix. And I was looking for a project just to really learn Elixir. I was talking to him about that. And then I was looking at the Cloudflare 
And there's really no good logging story as a Cloudflare customer. There's a decent one if you're an enterprise, which is, I don't even know anymore, 500 bucks a month or more or something like that. But if you're not an enterprise customer, you know, they've done a lot more with analytics lately, but there's still no way to just access the raw log stream of like request responses that's happening through Cloudflare, unless you write your own worker, which is what we basically do for people. The MVP was like, okay, I think I can learn Elixir relatively quickly. You know, Phoenix, like the default app is like a chat stream. It was like, okay, well, that's kind of like a log stream. Cloudflare has a ton of customers and there's like this hole in the product where, you know, there's nobody can get at their logs easily. And then they have this app store and they've got a ton of users. So maybe if I can get this thing in the app store, like that might drive some users to this thing. That was like the experiment. And after a couple months, I ended up getting something on a server and we ended up rolling out the Cloudflare app. We weren't even storing anything at the time. It literally just streamed like request response data like to your browser. But that even just that was even more than those users that were getting. It got a decent amount of attention at that point. I just kind of kept going with it. And the more it developed, the more I liked the idea because it's like there's newer technologies these days that different options other than like the Elk stack. We went with BigQuery for various reasons. One that it's serverless, I didn't have to worry about like hard drives, but it's also very inexpensive to store data. And ultimately for the latest three months, it's the cost of object storage. So just to you know store a file on S3. If you don't touch a partition and a partition table after three months, that price automatically gets cut in half. So you can keep this data for object storage costs, like to just put a file on S3, but it's all ready to query and you can query, you know, terabytes, petabytes, and have results back in basically seconds. So it was just pretty compelling for storing, at least for, for like my use case for logs. Then that ultimately like became the pitch was like, you could use Logflare, you can pick a paid plan and some amount of storage will get included in that. But then you can give us your own Google Cloud credentials and you'll pay us to shuffle the logs to your BigQuery. And then you pay Google for the storage and query costs. By doing that, you can actually store a bunch more data and query a bunch more data, essentially like an order of magnitude less expensive than a typical like Elk-based product. So you mentioned Google's cloud service. Are there any other particular platforms that you are integrated well with? Or if I have a self-hosted thing somewhere, am I able to leverage Logflare? It depends on what you want to ship to us. We have lots of different things that you can ship. We have a few integration, li- like we have an Elixir library, we have a, we have a JavaScript, we have a Pinot transport for JavaScript. And then we have some example like vector configs. So if you have vector installed on that server, you can ship like logs from actual log files or, or anything else that like vector does. So one of the things I noticed on the Logflare website is that it does pretty prominently list Elixir as something that it works well with. So what can you share about that? It's all pretty much Elixir. And so I wanted to have like a logger back end, I wanted to use it really, frankly, is why we built it. <laughs> Our production logs go to like 
our staging environment. So when I'm debugging anything on production, I'm actually using like Logflare staging to do that. It was a bootstrapped deal. So I wasn't trying to go up against like Splunk, right? One of the reasons we targeted Cloudflare was because it's like a underserved, it's a little bit more than a community, I guess, but they have like a self-support user form and there's like lots of people there and they're always asking about logs. And so it's, it's a, basically a niche that I could go to, to serve them better than even like their own company is like serving them. Right. And like that did well for the cloud for users. And I was building an Elixir, but also the logging story within the typical logging products. It didn't really serve Elixir users that well, because it's a smaller community. And it's also kind of partly why Vercel is a big part of the story is because they're, you know, a newer company that was, had a marketplace. Their, the logging story inside of Vercel was not very good either. So that there was these communities that I could target as like a solo founder dev that if I could focus on them and tailor a solution to them, even just a little bit, then people would be like very happy about that. And, and they were. So that's a lot of the reason why that all that stuff is so prominent. And it's like when you're one guy, you've got a limited amount of time and you really have to be able to focus on on something, right? And so I didn't want to try to compete with Splunk on an integration that, you know, I'm not going to be able to compete with, but their Elixir story is probably not very good. So let's maybe try to compete with them on the, the Elixir library, right? I did notice that it seems like you're already capturing Elixir and Beam metrics. And you'd mentioned this idea of observability and being able to track what's going on and debug things. It appears to be that there's a lot of awareness, right, of the Beam. Is that a significant part of Logflare and just getting Beam insights? If I were to start looking at my Logflare dashboard, what kind of Beam stuff might I see there? So we had the Elixir logger, and then it was more of like, Logflare started to really become this thing where, you know, we can keep just logs, but then there's other things that I potentially want, like metrics, right? What is a metric other than just like a payload with like some numbers, right? So what if we just log those and send those through Logflare? Like, can we use Logflare as basically like just a data pipeline for not only your logs, but also metrics? And can we potentially materialize metrics from logs? And can we do that in a way that's cost-effective and fast enough to basically have kind of this hybrid solution where all your metrics and logs and ultimately traces kind of go through this one thing, but then you can essentially query all that, all that stuff, however you want, and ultimately query it with SQL, which I thought was like also very interesting. So that was kind of like the initial idea we'd been, and I was prototyping that for myself, just kind of building out like, you know, what do I want to actually monitor for my production deployment? And like, how do I actually get that data? from a you know production elixir deployment there's a dashboard that i linked to from the homepage that's like a google data studio dashboard that's what i use to basically replace my datadog metrics is that i'm i'm sending logs through logflare but then i'm also just sending essentially metrics payloads through there also and so i can kind of like create this dashboard that's a hybrid of materialized metrics from logs, but then also just like, you know, metrics from metrics payloads, essentially. So we, we don't have like an official story around like, quote unquote, metrics. Yet for Elixir, we kind of started on like a back end for telemetry. 
so that like it wouldn't be shuffled in with all your logs. It would go to like a separate log stream, which it would just be like your metric stream. But then it would all get inserted into essentially the data store of your choice. Then so that you could kind of do this hybrid like logs metrics solution. At least that's like the long the longer term like kind of idea. I'm looking at your graph and seeing the cloud flare to the happy boss <laughs> emoji. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the little phone thing, that's an actual Google like in like iframe Google Data Studio report. And that's for our Cloudflare logs. That's right on the homepage and it's live with recent data on like a the section track everything you want. There's like a gray button for backend status, Elixir, and then like the CDN status for Cloudflare. That's basically what I look at to figure out if something's going wrong. So it sounds like, you know, you have this object storage and you're gathering lots of data. It's just, you know, that's the interesting thing about system logs like this is they just, they're continually flowing. It is an ever increasing pool. You're having to process all of that. And I was just wondering if you can share maybe a little bit of an overview of how this is all architectured and pieced together. And then any challenges that you've had in dealing with such large volumes of data that you have to ingest. It's a Phoenix app and we just have endpoints that you can send us. We, ha- we have like a payload structure that's like the official one, I guess, which is like an event, which is like a message and metadata about that message. So you can send basically a post request with any JSON body. When you send metadata with your log event, you can put any data in there as well. And we take that and then we turn it into like a schema for BigQuery and then we update your BigQuery schema. So we add columns for new fields that we detect, but then we also actually currently type check all those on every payload and reject them on the post request so that you get some feedback in whatever system you're sending us data from. So we basically turned like BigQuery into a semi-schemaed database, like BigQuery is schemaed. So you define a schema, but we take data in as JSON. And then if there's new fields, then we'll add them for you automatically. If something doesn't type match, then we reject that and tell you that. And so we get the payload in, do that on ingest, and then we use Broadway to like to batch everything up. And that's pretty much it. There's a lot more going on in there. I mean, each Logflare source is its own process. We keep a certain amount of latest log events in a process. And we have like a buffer process, a separate buffer process, which I actually probably should get rid of. That's like the, the producer for Broadway because Broadway's kind of originally built for things that you pull data from like SQS or Redis or something like that. And then we're doing a lot in terms of like rate limiting, like we kind of pass rate limits around in the cluster and try to like get like a cluster rate limiter so that we can tell for each source and user, you know, how much data they're sending in any, in any given second, really. And that just uses PubSub. So Phoenix PubSub was like, <laughs> like the biggest mind blowing event. Like when you actually like get that hooked up and have like two Elixir nodes running on your local machine, and then you like send something to one and it then it pops up on both. It was just like that. That just worked. Like that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) 
but but ultimately it's just a data pipeline. There's lots of details to that, like I said, but but that's that's basically what it is. I'm glad you're here because we saw and David in particular caught some interesting news about Logflare. And I was wanting to get your opinion and just feedback and insight as to what's going on here. So David, maybe you can kind of share what you saw. There was a certain blog post on a different company's website, Supabase. I think five days ago as of the recording, it sounds like your company Logflare has joined Supabase. Can you tell us more about that? That's what happened. It's more than more than just sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so it did happen. Yeah. Yes, it did happen. <laughs> it's true. They're not lying. <laughs> so we talked to Paul Cobblestone not so long ago from Superbase, and you know he was telling us about their vision for having a slew of uh, services, and one of them being logging. So I see now the strategy here that Logflare is going to help provide them. What does this mean for you and your, your team? What's the big exciting thing for your team? I originally started talking to Paul because they were actually one of our first paying customers, which was cool. I kind of identified Supabase as another thing that was seemed to be growing pretty quickly. The logging story inside Supabase wasn't really there either. So I was trying to get him to, you know, either do some sort of integration or let us be the first, you know, like log drain integration thing, or just use us for your logs and just integrate Logflare into Super base. So I was trying to get him on as a customer and we started talking and just the more we talked, the more that it made sense for us to, I mean, really just work closer together. And then um, started talking about Logflare joining Superbase and what that would look like. And so it doesn't really mean very much in the short term, I guess, other than I like we're in the middle of getting Superbase its own kind of logging UI that's powered by Logflare. And then we're going to be powering, you know, some other dashboard reporting stuff. We've got this new feature called Logflare endpoints where you can basically define like an API endpoint with a SQL query. So a front end dev can easily basically have like a API for a chart that they need to render or something like that. And then we do some things to make sure it stays fast and the results are near real time and it's still relatively inexpensive with BigQuery. But we're helping that, but basically we're going to push the observability story for logs, you know, metrics, and ultimately like tracing for the Superbase stack, which is, you know, like your Postgres logs, just data about all your queries. They have, you know, real time, which is Elixir, which powers their WebSocket notification system. And so we'll be providing a lot of insight around that for people. They have a new storage service. They have like functions that we're still trying to figure out exactly what we want to do with. But, you know, those need logs. Our authentication system needs some more, you know, logging and durability around it. We really just want to give people that like Supabase customers much more insight into what's actually happening with their Supabase deployment. So I know that logging is the name of the game here. You're also touching on some metrics. I want to understand a little bit more about how the metrics are going to be captured inside of these applications. I assume there has to be some coordination inside the application to be able to do the trace well and and make it make sense. How are y'all going to do that? Is open telemetry part of this? Like, are we going to start seeing some like client libraries that plug in? Let's say that I am an Elixir developer and I'm interested in using Logflare and Supabase. What would that integration look like for me? 
the tracing story isn't fully like fleshed out yet, but we're starting to because we have like at least for Supabase, we have like a Cloudflare like request response data that is coming in, and we have the actual like query. So we can correlate the actual response that came in through your Supabase API and then the underlying query that was like served from that. We can connect those two, how we actually like put spans around those and try to give you like an open telemetry type feel. I'm not totally sure on the implementation details yet. That is ultimately the goal. And it was really initially positioned for front-end devs that have never really had to deal with like a back-end or don't want to deal with a back-end. Like Supabase for Elixir users, the story around that has never been amazing, but hopefully that's something I'm going to be driving as well and just figuring out what that really looks like and how Supabase can help, like where it makes sense for Supabase to help Elixir deployments and where it doesn't, and just kind of fleshing some of that out a bit more. I like the point that you brought up there with what Supabase is their focus is really trying to service the Jamstack crowd, like like you mentioned, the front-end people who are front-end focused. Mm-hmm. Logging and observability and just like, what's going on? Why is this doing this? Or just being able to debug things, especially if you're front-end focused and maybe you've worked in a team, but you were never part of the back-end team. You didn't have any of that expertise to lean on. So it sounds like Logflare would be a really good fit for that just to help bring that insight out. I mean, one of the things Supabase is doing really well is educating front-end developers about what it means to actually use like a database. Like what are columns? Like what is an index? You know, like they never needed to index anything really before. And so that's a goal for me is to like ultimately make it really obvious. Like you're using this database, like what should you put an index on? Just like, Hey, like this query is super slow. Like you should look at why this query is super slow. Like let's try and help you figure that out. And then like educate you about that in the process. It's going to be a cool thing to like figure out. That is interesting. And then like the Cartesian product problem with cross joins and left joins, you know, <laughs> it's like, why are there so many records with all the same stuff? Almost all the same stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that is interesting. Yeah. But what, it, what I find fascinating about this is that front end focus Elixir has live view and we have full stack, you know, you can have your Phoenix backend with your JavaScript front end, but for a lot of us, Elixir focused people, you know, that's not the problem that we don't have some of this already experience with the back end. So what I just find hilarious, really, and fascinating at the same time is that Elixir is being used to help these people in these other communities to get the stability, to get the the systems, the logging, the insight, and all of that. With Supabase and Logflare, you guys are the Elixir back end, right? For these front end focused people. I wanted to touch on this too, like, First of all, like I, I like barely know JavaScript, and so it's been like interesting joining the team because it's. I mean, everything is for me is mostly Elixir, and then just just wiring up like whatever I needed to wire up for Live View or channels. That's been interesting. Don't tell them, but maybe one day we can rewrite the Supabase dashboard in, in Live View. So one of the reasons why I really liked Supabase is they have this like underlying technology that is Postgres that's been around 
for forever. And that's amazing. And that does all these really useful and cool things like, you know, being able to do functions like triggers. And then, I mean, it's, it's just such a powerful and stable piece of technology. But even for me, like I use some more of that stuff now, but like for a long time, I just create records and read records and my schema and, and indexes aren't even like that complicated. And it's just, it's just, it's just fast. You can get so far with it, but I just really like how Supabase is enabling. I mean, it's mostly front end developers right now, but like even somebody who like me, I guess I would consider a back end dev. By getting more familiar with Supabase, I'm kind of like discovering really like the power that is Postgres and the, the things that you could really do with it. There's lots of parallels to what Supabase is doing with Postgres to what like Elixir in Phoenix is doing with like Erlang. And so, you know, I see Erlang is like this crazy powerful piece of technology that's been around for decades and hasn't really had the limelight that it, it deserves. It, it, it does in corners of the world, but like, and then Elixir comes along and makes it just so much more palatable for a whole new subset of users. And then Phoenix comes along and it's like, okay, you can build these, you know, crazy interactive, responsive, real-time applications, something that is like akin to like a, like a Gmail app. And like one guy can do that in, you know, like a week. And it's, I mean, it's nuts, the, the things that you can do with it. And so I parallel it the like, you know, Supabase is really trying to enable and make all the cool things that you can do with Postgres just like easy and really accessible for people. That was one of the reasons why it like such a compelling thing, you know, and I get to continue to build out like a logging solution that will ultimately, ultimately serve like those users as well. And I've been having fun doing that. So, you know, I kind of get to continue to do that. Chase, one last question I have is, it sounds like it's a really good fit with you and Supabase. You re- like their mission and what they're doing. So if I'm an Elixir dev who's already using Logflare as my backend, does this impact me in any way? I think we're ultimately going to like package Logflare in like a Supabase deployment, like inside the Supabase stack. The details of that are not totally clear. We've just been trying to get logs like for Supabase users inside their UI for the last few weeks. So while we can like package it in the same stack, you're still going to want to run something separately, right? And then also with what we're doing to enable front-end devs to build kind of reports and charts and stuff easily. I mean, the integration that we're doing with Supabase is just all APIs too. So it still remains like a separate thing. I think it's just going to continue to be a separate thing that we're going to develop kind of in parallel and we're going to be dog fooding all the things that we're doing with Logflare. We're really think about it like Supabase is dog fooding it. We're shoving a lot of logs through it. We're able to actually integrate like an Algolia type library, but for, you know, like logging. So you could easily build like a logging interface in, inside something. And then enabling these front end developers to integrate, you know, charts and um, reports and off of your log data, off of your metrics, but it could be. I mean, anything that's like a stream of like structured data that you could ultimately query from SQL, and that's really just another database, but one that's much more tailored for the use case of like just lots of structured events sort of thing. Long story short, I don't think much is going to change. And I think that they ultimately still need to be like separate things. That's cool. Well, I look forward to following in the news cycle as things 
merge and you guys get that story worked out, that'll be very interesting to follow. But if people want to follow you or the company or events as they unfold, where should they go to do that? I'm on Twitter as Chasers. You can always follow Superbase. They're very good at memeing, actually. (laughs) Very cool. Well, thank you, Chase, for coming on and sharing your interesting journey as you've been going on this process of how you started this Logflare company and, and now how it's seeing success to the point where like, hey, there's synergy here and we can coordinate and join forces. So I think it's really cool. And I'm, I love that you guys have found a way for Elixir to be a beneficial tool in the background for other communities as well, even if they're not directly getting to write the Elixir code because that's that's where I am, man. That's That's my love is writing the Elixir code. So we get to do it for them. <laughs> exactly. But thank you so much for coming on. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.